Well, over the past uh, few uh, weeks, we've been trying to learn this verse uh, of Scripture from Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 10 and 11. Uh, so uh, I said we'd need to learn it, which means I can't just leave the whole verse up there. Uh, so I'll read the verse to you, and then um, some, verses, some words will disappear as we read it together as a congregation. Um, so hopefully it will work. If you don't know it, don't worry, um, I can probably carry it on my own. But it would be good if you could read it with me. So let me read it uh, first of all on my own. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, 10 and 11 says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's see if we can do it uh, a bit uh, with the words disappeared. So uh, I'll read if you read with me, uh, and then where there's gaps, see if you can remember by carrying on. So let's, let's read this verse. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very good, that didn't sound too bad at all. Well, if you'll turn uh, with me to Nehemiah, uh, and we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6 this evening. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verses 1 to 14. So let me begin by reading this uh, chapter, Nehemiah 6, and verses 1 to 14. Let's listen, because this is the word of God. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing, what, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delilah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him, that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Well, I've called uh, this message, Stay Faithful in the Work. Stay Faithful in the Work. Uh, This year, uh, as every year, um, the Guinness Book of Records comes out with remarkable stories of perseverance. And on the 6th of August this year, a man called Daniel Scarley broke the world record for the plank. Now, if I'd have uh, thought about it, and I sh- uh, if I could do things again, I might have done this. I would have showed a picture of what a plank is, because as I was reading my notes, I realized that not all of you might know what that is, but certainly... Uh, most of the young people know what the plank is because often they'll do it at one on six to show how strong they are. But basically, you've got to hold yourself in a position on the floor uh, and uh, it, it works out the core of your body and it is really hard after uh, not very long in my case. Uh, but the man who broke the world record was staying in that position for nine hours and 31 minutes. Nine hours and 31 minutes, which broke the previous record, which was set by a Royal Marine um, in, uh, a year ago, uh, who did it in 8 hours and 30 minutes. It was a whole hour longer uh, in which he was keeping this plank. And when asked how on earth you can do this, uh, a lot of it was his training. He trained uh, literally for hours and hours and hours every single day. But he said it is 70% mindset and 30% physical. So a lot of the, 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 the achievement is down to, I guess, mind over matter or mind over body. Now, perseverance, the, the keeping going, is a very biblical concept. In the Bible, uh, they don't use the illustration of the plank, uh, but often you'll read illustrations from athletics, such as we read in Hebrews, running a race. And the idea is that we as God's people must stay faithful and persevere in the work that God has given us to do, which is really the Christian life of giving glory to him. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, we see Nehemiah being tested in his faithfulness. He is going to stay faithful, but we see three different incidents where his faithfulness is really put to the test. The work on the wall at this point in Nehemiah is almost complete. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that it's only the doors and the gates 
that are left to be put in place. It's almost like the, the finishing touches to this work. And the enemies at this point, knowing the progress that's being made, are getting desperate. And they engage in some final efforts to bring the work to an end. And what they do is attack Nehemiah directly. They figure if we can bring him down, then the work will stop and they won't finish it off and it will all fall apart. And in chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, we see challenges to the faithfulness of Nehemiah to keep going. Will he persevere? Will he finish the job? But us too, in our day as Christians, also face challenges to our faithfulness to God, don't we? And what we'll see is we face the same kind of problems that Nehemiah did. He faces three challenges from chapter 6. He faces the challenge of distraction. He faces the challenge of defamation. And finally, the challenge of danger. Distraction, defamation, and danger. So first of all, we're called here to stay faithful when faced with distraction. So in verse uh, 1, the enemy hears of the work progressing uh, really well. Uh, And in verse 2, we see two enemies, Sambalat and Geshem, send a message. Uh, Note what the message says there in verse 2. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. While the meeting seems innocuous enough, these are enemies of Nehemiah. Uh, Surely um, it might be a good idea to go and meet your enemies in this place. Uh, Perhaps they want some kind of peace conference. Uh, Perhaps uh, Nehemiah can explain of of, of why this work in Jerusalem is not a bad idea. Uh, They should support him. Uh, It might be a really good thing to go and meet these people on the plains of Ono. Well, the, the Valley of Ono is about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It's, it's border territory, and it's away from the safety of the city. The journey would take quite a while to get there, but surely, surely it's worth just stepping aside from the work just for a couple of days to, to go and meet these enemies and, and try and work things out. Well, Nehemiah is not a fool, is he? He's not unthinking. At the beginning of, at the end of verse 2, it says, but they were scheming to harm me. Why would the enemy want Nehemiah to travel so far? If they wanted to meet him, surely they could come to where he is. Why have they all of a sudden changed from hostility to friendship? Just as the wall is finishing, Nehemiah realizes They're trying to harm me. The appeal sounded innocuous enough, but there's a healthy dose here of skepticism. So how did Nehemiah respond to this overture? Well, look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Going to this meeting on the, in the Valley of Ono would take him away from the great project that God has given him to do. It sounded appealing to come off of the wall, but it was not good for him to do. Nehemiah stayed faithful 
by staying focused. He was focused on what God had given him to do. He wasn't distracted by what his enemies were asking of him, even though it didn't sound all that bad. He had a job given to him by the Lord. He stayed focused. But notice in verse 4, the enemies didn't give up. They bring the same message four times. And we read that Nehemiah each time gave them the same answer. And so he remained faithful by staying focused persistently. Persistently. No one in this life really achieves anything significant without complete focus on the task that they've been given. And we know that's true, don't we? I could give any number of illustrations from sports, from arts, from politics. People get to the top due to focus and not distraction. We had the Olympic Games this year, and you can read of all those, those Olympians whose life was focused and dedicated to the extreme in order to win the gold medal. Now at church, we're of course not trying to get to the top, but we need to remain focused if we are going to be giving glory to God in our lives. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Notice there the focus. You've got to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for us. And we can be distracted as individuals and as a church from our race. We can be distracted from walking with and serving God in so many different ways, can't we? I mean, just think about your Bible reading and prayer life. How easy is it to be distracted? Many of us could read almost anything with much ease except when it comes to opening the Bible. Isn't that true? There are calls on our time that can distract not always with bad things, hobbies that could take us away from church, for example, uh, engaging in good, even Christian activities, but neglecting our obligations to our families or to our local church. We can be distracted even by saying yes to everything, can't we? Churches are often distracted at the, at the moment with um, the, the, the COP26 conference. Many churches are distracted by preaching sermons, not from the scriptures, but on climate change. No doubt climate change is a, an important issue. But we can be distracted when we think that somehow mankind is going to save the world. When we read Romans 8 and we see that creation isn't groaning for a politician, it's groaning for the redemption of the children of God. Sin that entices can distract us and can look far more appealing than God's word. Come to this party, watch this film, look at this picture, do this. And it can seem so wonderful, 
but it's a distraction. Nehemiah in this chapter remains faithful by staying focused and saying no to the distractions that come his way. And Nehemiah also recognizes that God had given him a great project. And brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a great project. It's not a mediocre, second-rate life. It is the life God has given us to live. It is a great project which we need to stay focused on. Nehemiah stayed faithful with distraction. Secondly, Nehemiah stayed faithful when faced with defamation. So in verse 5, we see that the first four messages didn't work. Uh, So Sanballat decides to try another tactic. He gives another reason to go to Ono because Nehemiah was saying no to Ono. And the tactic is an unsealed letter, an unsealed letter. Now, an unsealed letter is basically a letter that everybody can read. An example of an unsealed letter is the New Testament epistles. They were letters that were unsealed in the sense that they were sent everywhere and everyone could read them. It was basically the social media campaign of the day. That was an unsealed letter. So Nehemiah is told that there has been an unsealed letter, or, a, or a, uh, in, in, in our day you might say, have you seen, Nehemiah, what's been said about you on Twitter? That's the kind of thing that's going on here. Have you seen what's been said about you? And in verses 6 and 7, we get the contents of, uh, well, it wouldn't be Twitter because there's a lot of characters in this letter, but nevertheless, what everybody can see. And basically, there's two accusations. Number one, the Jews are plotting to revolt against Persian rule, and the wall is all part of that plot, which is basically the same as what was said in Ezra chapter 4 when the work was put to a stop. And the second accusation was that Nehemiah was appointing prophets to proclaim him as the king of Judah. When there was a king of Judah, his name was Artaxerxes. And it had a ring of truth to it because there were prophecies in the scriptures that did say that there would be a king that would come from the line of David to rule over God's people in Jerusalem. And so this unsealed letter had a ring of truth, but really it was slander. And at the end of verse 7, notice um, what they say. This report will get back to the king. So in other words, if the king hears of this, you're going to lose your life. If the king hears of this, this work is going to be put to an end or knocked down. Surely, Nehemiah, you should come to meet us at Ono, because if you don't, this unsealed letter is just going to grow and grow and grow. Well, look at what Nehemiah says in verse 8. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. And I think you could, and it would be wise sometimes, to write a tweet that says, you are just making it up out of your own head. I think those characters will fit, and it fits to a lot of the rubbish, doesn't it, that comes out these days. But Nehemiah recognized this is is rubbish. They're making it up. And I think he even recognizes here, even the king will know Because the king knows me, 
He knows I'm not this kind of person. You are just making this up out of your own head. And in verse 9, we see the reason for this defamation. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands would get too weak for the work and it would not be completed. Nehemiah recognized this for what it was, but notice it didn't throw him off. It didn't stop him being faithful. But for us, while we may not like to admit it, we care very much what people think of us, don't we? Our reputation is very important to us. And we want sometimes to protect that reputation at any cost, even the cost of staying faithful. The fear of losing a good reputation among our friends or our work colleagues can be crippling to our faith. And it can stop us serving our Lord. Because living as a Christian will mean that we will face this kind of defamation of character at times. So, for example, here's some things that I've been told during my time as a Christian. Uh, Christians are homophobes. Or you are a homophobe. You're not a team player because you won't celebrate some of the things that we celebrate. Christians are boring and have to follow rules all the time. You're just arrogant. You, you think you're better than us. Do you ever hear those kind of things? Now, of course, don't be those things. Don't be uh, abusive. Uh, don't be someone that just doesn't take part in the world at all. Don't be boring. Don't be arrogant. But don't worry either when we are accused of those things, even when they're not true. Because the bigger temptation that we have, rather than speaking wisely, is to not speak up at all. Or to not continue staying faithful because we're worried about what those others will think. And so we want to fit in with what they are like so that we don't get those kind of character assassinations. Giving in to the fear of people And I think it's even true, especially perhaps even in our own families. Um, I find it far easier, by the way, to stand and proclaim truth here when there's even people I don't know than it is to stand in front of my own family. But the fear of people, whoever they are, is a great immobilizer to the Christian walk and a great cause of unfaithfulness, isn't it? And Sambalat and his aide counted on unfaithfulness. But Nehemiah stayed faithful. Notice at the end of verse 9, what does he do? He does what he's done all through this book. He prays. Now strengthen my hands. We need to stay faithful when our reputation is under threat. Not weakening our hands. Not giving in to the fear of people. But praying to God, God, give me strength that I would stay faithful today with these people in front of me. If Nehemiah had gone to Ono, it would have really been an admission of guilt almost. Rather than defending himself, he entrusted himself to the God who needs no defenders. So can you pray this with Nehemiah? Pray that God would strengthen your hands so that you'd stay faithful when fearing people 
in the face of defamation. So stay faithful when faced with distraction. Stay faithful when faced with defamation. And thirdly, stay faithful when faced with danger. So in verse 10, we come to another day. One day, when he goes to the house of Shemaiah. Now, we're not told why Nehemiah visits this house. It's probably, for whatever reason, this man was shut in at his home. Uh, But there's no reason given why the man is shut in in his home. It, It doesn't really matter. What does matter is what happens when he gets to this man's house. He receives troubling news. Notice at the end of verse 10. It says, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. In verse 12, we we read that this is a so-called prophecy. His life is in danger here. And so he's told to hide in the temple. But the problem was that Nehemiah was not a priest. And God's law says that as a a non-priest, he was not allowed to go inside the temple and shut the doors. It would be breaking God's law. It would be a sin for Nehemiah to go into the temple in this way. It would be wrong. And the temptation here is to allow the fear of danger, danger of his life, to cause him to sin. Will Nehemiah stay faithful when faced with danger? His fear, his fear was telling him to go into the temple. And fear is a lousy counselor, isn't it? Now, sometimes fear is useful. So if you're crossing a road and you're concerned about the traffic, fear is helpful. Fear isn't a sin. We do fear. What we do with fear is what's important. And fear will counsel us to disobey God's word because of the danger that we're in fear of but we must stay faithful. And fear of danger can cause us to sin in many ways. Think about what you fear. What what do you fear? And what will you do to avoid the danger of that? Some people will do almost anything to avoid danger. There's been a lot of fear because of health recently, hasn't there? We can be so crippled by fear of what might happen to us in getting ill that we just avoid everybody always and not serve in any way. We could be so fearful of the danger of not having enough money that we overwork or we are not generous with what God has given us, however small that may be. That can be a fear, can't it? Is there some danger that you are fearful of that is stopping you from serving the Lord in some way? Well, how did Nehemiah respond to danger? Well, in verse 11 we read, he stayed faithful. Look at what he says in verse 11. Should a man like me run away? 
Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Now, when Nehemiah says here, a man like me, he's not saying, I'm a superman who has no fear of danger. He wasn't being like um, Simba in The Lion King, if you know the scene, who laughs in the face of danger until the hyenas come. He wasn't being like that. Like me is saying, a believer. Someone who has God on his side, someone who has seen God at work in my life, someone who has God's protection because I am one of his followers, who has me in his hand, should someone like me run away? Of course not. Should I sin against my God because of danger? No. There's so many wonderful stories that you can read of Christians who stayed faithful in the face of danger. You can read, for example, uh, the story in in Gates of Splendor, where where Elizabeth Elliot goes with her missionary wives to the very tribe that murdered their husbands. She She says something like this, should a woman like me run away? No, she didn't run from danger. She goes straight there and sees those people come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can read of Christian preachers in the days of Queen Mary I who, going to church and preaching the truth, meant that they were, very, they were, they were highly unlikely to live. And most of these men and women go to church And hear the Bible preached, and knowing that they would die, did so anyway. They stayed faithful, and many of these men were burned in front of their congregations as an example. And the authorities were saying, this is an example of what will happen to you. But to their congregations, they were an example of faithfulness. They didn't run away because of danger. They stayed faithful in the midst of it. Did they fear? No doubt they feared. But they stayed faithful. And let's pray that we in our generation have that same kind of zeal that we would be faithful when we are faced with danger as well. In verses 12 and 13, Nehemiah recognizes that that this isn't a prophet of God. And just as an aside, um, if someone comes to you and says that God wants you to sin, they are not a prophet of God. God is not going to tell you to do something contrary to his word. This uh, so-called prophet was hired by Sambalat and Tobiah to intimidate him, to make him sin. And note the consequences in verse 13, if he would sin. It says that they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Now, earlier on I said we shouldn't fear man. We shouldn't be worried about what people think of us to the point where we would avoid them. Uh, uh, we, would, we would avoid living faithfully to, to, uh, to, to avoid uh, defamation. But that we don't take that to the extreme where we don't care what people think at all. We should care that people... Uh, know us as people who honor God's name. We have a good testimony. And here Nehemiah is saying, if I was to sin, it would discredit me 
by dishonoring God. That's what he means here. And so again in verse 14, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah does the same thing he does when he's faced with any problem in this book. Nehemiah prays. He's not worried about his name. He's not worried about vengeance. He entrusts himself to the one who judges justly. And notice at the end of verse 14, it's not just Shemaiah who was the problem. He talks here of the prophet Noadiah, a lady, and the rest of the prophets. So there were a number of them who were trying to intimidate him. It was a, a campaign of intimidation to try and get him to sin in the face of danger. But Nehemiah stayed faithful. We'll look at verse 15 uh, next week. But notice verse 15. How long did Nehemiah stay faithful till? Until the work was done. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. He stayed faithful. In terms of danger and defamation, look at these words from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Don't, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear man. Don't fear danger. Fear God by staying faithful. Again, fear is not a sin. The call here is for faithfulness to overshadow fear rather than fear overcoming faithfulness. Faithfulness overshadowing fear rather than fear overcoming faithfulness. And if we want to look at the example of this, where further do we look than our Lord Jesus Christ? Did Jesus face distraction? Of course he did. But he remained focused. In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, when Jesus had calls from all over the place for his time, he said, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He is focused on the work God had given him to do. Did Jesus face defamation? All the time. Similarly to Nehemiah, he was accused of being a king. Except Jesus, of course, was a king. But they accused him of being uh, Caesar. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Now, he was the Messiah. But the point here is that they were accusing him of being a, the kind of king that would uh, be of the Romans, that not the kind of king that he really was. And Jesus wasn't concerned for his own reputation, but for bringing glory to his Father. And was Jesus faced with danger? All the time. With plots to kill him. And Jesus not only was faced with danger, he was faced with the reality of crucifixion on the cross, wasn't he? And he stayed faithful unto death. And why did Jesus do this? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice in that verse, Jesus knew 
that there was a true and lasting joy in staying faithful. The joy was bringing glory to his father by having his people with him in heaven. And so in staying faithful, like our Savior, we are saying no to an inferior and temporal pleasure or safety and saying yes to the everlasting blessings and joy that come from staying faithful to God. For us, perseverance is not like the guy doing the plank. As impressive as that may be, it's not 70% mind and 30% physical. It's 100% Jesus. Because the next part of Hebrews 12 says, consider him. How do you stay faithful? Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, let's stay faithful to our God in the midst of distraction, in the midst of defamation, in the midst of danger. Let's stay faithful until the end when he calls us home. Well, our final song that we're going to sing together is a song of of dedication to that faithfulness. Uh, We're going to stand together and sing, O Jesus, I have promised to serve you till the end. Let's stand as we sing together. Speak to make me live.
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and evermore. Amen.